You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dulavan Barwari. In this episode, we interview Karen Young, a senior fellow and founding director of the Program on Economics and Energy at the Washington, D.C.-based think tank, the Middle East Institute. Ms. Young was previously a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, focusing on the political economy of the Middle East and the Gulf Cooperation Council. The discussion is centered around her recent visit to the Kurdistan region to participate in the American University of Kurdistan's Middle East Peace and Security Forum and her take on the KRG's economic reforms and energy sector. But first, here's a brief news update on the latest developments in Kurdistan and Iraq. So please stay tuned. On November 7th, an assassination attempt was made on Iraqi Prime Minister Mustafa Kadami using armed drones. There was no claim of responsibility, but suspicion fell on militias that were the biggest losers in the recent Iraqi parliamentary elections. Seven of Prime Minister Kadami's security guards were wounded in the attack on his home. Kurdish and other Iraqi leaders condemned the attack and called for unity and calm. Turning to Kurdistan, KRG Prime Minister Masur Barzani participated in the annual Manama Dialogue Conference in Bahrain, where he met with several top American, European, and militian officials. Among them were U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and Brett McGurk, the White House Coordinator for the Middle East and North Africa, to speak primarily about security issues. The Prime Minister also met with Bahrain's Crown Prince Salman Belhamad al-Khalifa, Pivoting to the new economic developments in Kurdistan. Earlier this month, the Kurdistan regional government inaugurated an investment office in the city of Zaho to improve investment promotion in the newly independent city administration. The directorate is important as Zaho connects the Kurdistan region with Turkey and Europe. As part of its economic reform plan, the KRG is diversifying its sources of revenue and reducing its reliance on crude oil. On the security and humanitarian front, on November 26, two flights returned about 600 migrants who had sought to enter the European Union back to Iraq from Belarus. The first group of about 400 returned on a flight from Belarus to Erbil on November 18th. According to the KRG spokesperson, Judyar Adil, regional security issues and the impacts of the global recession are among the factors pushing youth from Kurdistan to migrate. But most of the migrants fell victim to smugglers and traffickers. Consequently, a committee tasked with addressing the issue has led to the arrest of 10 people on charges of human smuggling, turning to the KRG representation in the United States. The KRG representative to the United States, Bayan Sami Abdurrahman, was in Kurdistan this month to participate in the American University of Kurdistan's Middle East Peace and Security Forum and to meet with KRG and American officials and NGOs. During her visit, Ms. Abdurrahman met with the U.S. Consul General in Erbil, Robert Paladino. They both took part in a ceremony honoring fallen American soldiers and Kurdish Peshmerga, along with the American NGO TAPS, or the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Ms. Abdurrahman also met with MAG, America's team in Erbil. MAG is the Mine Advisory Group an NGO that helps people affected by landmines, unexploded ordnance, small arms, and light weapons. It has been working in Kurdistan and Iraq since 1992, saving countless lives. 
Wrapping up with culture. The 8th Dohok International Film Festival kicked off a week-long festival on November 15th. The event brought local and international films to the Kurdistan region, showcasing 93 films in all. 44 of the films screened were Kurdish and 49 others from 30 different countries. Again, I'm your host, Dulavan Barwari, and you're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan regional government representation in the United States. And now, the interview with Karen Young. Karen Young, welcome to the Kurdistan in America podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. Let's begin our discussion with your recent trip to the Kurdistan region. You participated in the Middle East Peace and Security Forum at the American University of Kurdistan in Dohuk and chaired two panels. First, what was your impression of the American University of Kurdistan and in particular the MEPS Forum? Well, thank you. Well, this um, this was my second trip to the American University of Kurdistan and my second uh, MEPS Forum. Um, so it was really great to be back. The first one was in 2019. And coming back, I think it meant more this year because everyone was, you know, really happy to be meeting in person, to be able to network and and be face to face. So it, I, I think it um, it was appreciated a lot more by uh, by the participants um, uh, in this time. Um, I thought, you know, it, it's it's such a beautiful setting. It's really wonderful to be with the students, and I was so happy that we were able to include. Um, some AUK students in our private workshop on on Monday, and then also, of course, in the uh, in the audience in the the public forums on Tuesday and Wednesday of the conference. And I think that's um, you know some of the the sharpest comments and most insightful comments came came from students uh, in the audience and also in those kind of uh, casual um, coffee conversations. I had one student who said to me, he said, you know, why aren't you coming up with with you know solutions? Um, and and that was really important to me because then in in one of our uh, sessions I made a point of of saying let's be very specific uh, when we talk about the reform agenda you know what are the solutions that have been tried what might be additional ones because this is the audience that wants to know um, so anyway it was it was a great experience to be back and I thought we had a really deep and um, you know. Uh, very rich conversations and not easy ones sometimes, um, but that's how you learn and that's how we we sort of progress in um, in in you know efforts for uh, diplomacy, but also in in policy ideas. Absolutely, this was also my second Maps forum, and it did exceed my expectations. I thought there were some improvements compared to the first. Now, what was your impression of my hometown? Did you? Enjoy the town, and did you see? Did you have any sightseeing? <laughs> it's beautiful. The mountains are beautiful. Um, you know, no, we didn't have a whole lot of time for sightseeing. We did have one kind of bus ride through town, and then a, a meeting with the prime minister, and we went to see the dam. Um, but it's 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 stunning, and um, you know, it certainly one thing that I noticed because I study economic issues was how many small businesses there were. Um, and, and that, you know, made me very happy to see and made me very happy to see people out, you know, in the street and, and shopping and, um, you know, sort of getting out, uh, after this, this tough two years we've had during the pandemic. So that was something that I noticed in our kind of drive around town. 
Now let's turn to the panel discussion on KRG's economic reforms. As the moderator of the panel, what were the key takeaways from the discussion? Well, I think we were really lucky in that discussion in that we had, you know, someone speaking from, you know, the government's own experience and efforts um, in, in, you know, trying to implement some difficult reforms. Um, we had people who had worked as advisors uh, who had experience in other governments. So that kind of um, outside case example, that being the, the UK. Um, and then we had a scholar and we had someone who works on the public opinion side. Um, so I thought it was a really diverse kind of representation of, of views. Um, and, and I think it was, uh, you know, a pretty frank also self-assessment of the reform agenda underway. Um, and, and a discussion of why, uh, why there are obstacles and why, you know, sometimes uh, citizens and businesses are, um, are reluctant to embrace reforms. It's not easy. Um, and it takes a lot of political will uh, to push forward. Um, so all of those themes certainly came out in our discussion. Very interesting. You mentioned public opinion. Now, should the people of Kurdistan be hopeful about the reforms? Absolutely. I mean, I thought, you know, um, the the whole notion of um, the example that um, Mr. Aziz gave about the, you know, some banks not being very happy with the implementation of, uh, of taxes and, um, you know, some, some bank owners kind of pushing back and, uh, and the government holding firm and saying, no, this is, this is what's expected and, and this is how it's going to be. Um, and, and that, you know, it, it, the public is certainly happy about that. But when you apply rules and you apply them evenly, um, they become easier to accept over time. And, uh, and you get what we think of as, you know, buy-in from the population, whether that's people who are actually on kind of the, the difficult end of the reform or people who are, are, are hopeful to see uh, implementation and, and more transparency um, about particularly issues of like tax collection, which is, uh, which is a tough one. Here's a related question. How can the KRG communicate to the public about the reforms and why it matters? Well, I mean, there are lots of ways that governments, um, you know, communicate to the public of, of what needs to be done. But I think the most important one is, is transparency. So, for example, you know, one of the reforms underway is, is getting um, an effort for, um, uh, for procurement, for government contracting to be done online so that you see when, um, when a contract is available, you see what bids are. Um, and then when, it, when you know, there's a selection of, or an award of a contract, everyone can see who gets it and how much it's for, and then ostensibly when the service is delivered. Um, so that is, um, I think, the best way to share government performance news is when everybody can see it. Um, and so your processes of awarding contracts, your processes of, um, you know, knowing what the government is bringing in in terms of revenue, whether that's from tax collection or other sources, um, and making that data available, that that works. Um, it's it's a very basic thing, but it's just, you know, you know show me the numbers and then people um, can see where their, you know, where their government is working for them. Great analysis. Now, outside of what was discussed, do you see any other areas that the KRG should prioritize? 
Yeah, you know, what, what really struck me in, in many of the conversations, you know, that uh, and remarks from the prime minister and from others was, you know, definitely the problem of, of oil revenue sharing, which is a, a persistent dilemma because it's very hard for governments to make decisions about how much they can spend um, if they don't know how much that they're bringing in. It's a very basic thing. Um, and so I would, I would suggest, you know, just as an outsider, um, the, you know, certainly in kind of nailing down the revenue sharing with the central government, that's a process. But beyond that, you know, the, the burden on, um, on the KRG in terms of, um, what access it has to, uh, to revenue is also made up now with debt repayment. Um, and the thing about, you know, having a lot of creditors uh, for sovereigns is that those creditors often have to be paid first before you can make choices about how to distribute resources um, uh, for social services and public goods. So I would think that um, if it were possible for some debt restructuring, that probably is the the reform that's uh, most needed in the KRG now. Great insight. Now, what is your assessment of the attempts to integrate Iraq's economy with the Gulf and other countries in the region. Also, how do you think Kurdistan can transition to renewable energy when its economy is reliant on oil and gas? Yeah, these are tough ones. So, um, you know, there there are some really positive signs coming from the GCC states, particularly from Saudi Arabia and the UAE right now, um, in getting more integrated and uh, engaged with the Iraqi economy. Um, that's very hopeful. And one mechanism of that engagement and kind of pathway of investment has been in um, in the energy sector. Some of it's into the gas business, which I think is very, very important. I mean, we don't just stop producing oil and gas. The world will still need oil and gas for some decades to come. Um, the gas business is really a, a part of that transition, um, gas being a lower carbon uh, emission source and um, uh, an important kind of feedstock for a number of other products, which we will continue to need and use. Um, but renewable sources are important too. And so the ability to finance and construct solar electricity plants in Iraq will be something that both Saudi Arabia and the UAE will probably be engaged in. Um, through Saudi Arabia, the company Aquapower, which is uh, about 50% owned by the Public Investment Fund, um, I think will be interested in projects in Iraq, as well as we've seen some interest from uh, Mazdar, owned by the, uh, the Abu Dhabi government. Um, so, you know, those are, those are great. Um, there are other projects that I think are, are as important um, because they are in the industries that exist now. And that's, um, again, in, in the gas business, we saw an interesting um, uh, financing from uh, the Development Finance Corporation, which is a, a finance entity of the U.S. government. It's not a grant. It's not aid. It's a, it's what we think of as concessional finance. So it's on um, with guarantees and, and on kind of preferential terms or lower interest rates, basically. Um, and that project ha- has been financed in um, uh, in the KRG region. Um by the DFC and um, uh, and uh, it, it's going to help produce more gas and less flaring and be able to get that gas to market. That's really important. I think that's like a two hundred and twenty-five million dollar project. Really important one. Um, 
So, you know, in the energy transition, there are kind of stops along the way. And so gas is, is one of those kind of median or pit stops along the way. And certainly the provision of better and more reliable electricity production is something that all of the region needs, but Iraq needs in particular. And if that can be met with solar or wind energy, that's great because it basically saves the uh, the resources that uh, are from oil and gas that can be saved for export and not used domestically for electricity production, which is dirty and which is then you know subsidized and basically wasteful. So um, these you know these are all things that I think are um, are, are happening. They're uh, they're great for the country. They're great for the KRG. Um, but it's not something, you know, when we talk about the energy transition, it's not something where you just flip a switch, right? And then all of a sudden there's no more oil and gas or there's, you know, we're only going to be using renewables. That's that's not how it's going to work. Um, I think for for the KRG, the, the big concern is um, getting every dollar out of every molecule that you can uh, of your hydro, uh, um, of your carbon resources. Um, and so that means first tackling the, the flaring problem. Very well said. Now let's turn to your role at the Middle East Institute. Tell us a bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, the Middle East Institute is a think tank in Washington. We are celebrating our 75th anniversary this year. So it's been around a long time uh, and really has been an educational institution. There's language classes. Basically, we exist to... Um, to be a you know, point of connection between the region and um, and the U.S. and and to be a source of information, often for the U.S. government and its various entities and agencies. I joined MEI in uh, in just the summer, just about six months ago, and um, so it's all still new to me. But the opportunity was to start a new program on economics and energy. So uh, we've been setting up this program with um, a team of uh, non-resident scholars and an advisory council, um, and you can check it out on, on the MEI website. Um, and it's important for me to have people from the region who are working in the region, working on these issues, working in energy firms, working as economists, working as scholars, uh, working as journalists. So people who can provide analysis for us, either in our publications, in our webinars, um, or we often do uh, small group meetings as well, um, and frequent travel in the region and, and convening there. So after I was um, um, in the hook a couple of weeks ago, I went on uh, to back to the UAE. We had um, some really fantastic meetings with uh, with people engaged in the program. Um, and people who know Iraq quite well. So that's, um, that's the most important work that we do, I think, is, uh, is bringing people together and, and hopefully then sharing that information through our various media outlets and, um, and ultimately also informing um, policymakers here in the United States. Wonderfully said. A related question. How can researchers and think tankers, even universities, engage with the Middle East Institute? Well, um, I think the easiest way is, you know, participate in our programming, particularly webinars, which are open and free to everybody. Um, the other way is uh, through uh, internships. We have, uh, I have two interns every semester and they have been vir virtual. So that's an opportunity. Um, we also 
invite people to publish with us. So if there is, you know, if you're a journalist or a scholar, uh, someone doing graduate work, and you'd like to write an article for MEI, you can submit that to our editor for consideration. Um, so I think there are there are a lot of ways to be involved. Very valuable information. Now let's pivot to you. What should our audience know about you that they may not know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so my work is sort of funny. I'm, I'm between fields. I'm a political economist, which means that my PhD is in political science, but I do a lot of writing and thinking and, and talking about um, economic issues. And so, um, you know, what, what really motivates me is, is understanding um, how governments make choices about the resources they have and how they provide um, services for their citizens and then how citizens uh, evaluate those services. Is it good? Is it working for them? Um, and then what do they do about it? So it's really the politics of, um, of finance, of the sharing of resources and of, uh, of, of government action. Um, so I don't work on identity politics. I don't work on sectarianism or even really political violence, but I do work on um, how states um, use the resources they have to take care of their people. And so that's kind of the lens that I see the region. And that's how I think about, um, uh, you know, the work that that is, you know, is going on and whether it's about the energy transition or whether it's about the reduction of subsidies, that's, that's, uh, those are the things that really motivate me and, and I think are interesting. Um, it's not for everybody, but those are the kind of questions I like to ask. Very impressive. Now we know more. <laughs> <laughs> We've reached the final segment of the interview where we ask our guests the same three questions. Here goes the first question. When was the first time you heard about Kurdistan? Um, I think actually, you know, I, I lived in Dubai from 2008 to 2014, and that was a moment when uh, there was a lot of investment, a lot of interest. I had a lot of friends actually who were doing work and flying into Erbil. And so the Fly Dubai flight from Dubai to Erbil was a very popular one. And I think that was when I really first heard about it and knew people who were, who were going and, um, and working there. Great. Now, the second question. What is a word or phrase that sums up Kurdistan for you? Um, fiercely independent. Wow. The first time I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, what's a word or phrase that sums up America for you? Uh, complicated and diverse. Explain. You know, it's it's a big country, and um, you know we we have a lot of different views, people coming from a lot of different places. Um, but I, you know, I always bet on America. We sort of figure things out and come together. We uh, we like to um, we like to kind of discuss everything. Sometimes uh, not so in not such a friendly way. We're not afraid to have disagreements, um, but but we generally pull it together. And, uh, and, and I think we believe in, um, in defending also our, our way of life. And so that's, uh, that's something that strikes me. I spend a lot of time out West in the U S um, it's very different from Washington, DC. Um, but I think what unites people is that, that sense of, uh, of, you know, of, 
basically protect, protecting a, you know, a way of, of being able to be um, vocal and being able to disagree and, um, and not being afraid to say what you think. Um, so that, that to me is, is kind of the essence of uh, the American spirit. Very well said and couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time and for the interview. Thank you for inviting me on the program. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast. The official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on either Buzzsprouts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa.